Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Visible Voice Books in Tremont, Ohio. With a glass of wine or a cup of joe in hand, readers can explore a curated selection of new and secondhand books. Learn more or shop online at visiblevoicebooks.com. And we're brought to you by the Terratier Club, a holistic online community helping parents raise kids who will care for the earth and change the world. Find resources, free activities, and a supportive team to help take the guesswork out of parenting at theterratierclub.com. So I got my first perm when I was 13. I wore purple and blue eyeshadow, sprayed my bangs with Aquanet, and pegged my jeans. And tricked my grandmother into buying me a Benetton sweater. And I snuck out. And I snuck in. Basically, I did whatever I could to fit in with the crowd. In college, I went to parties and bars where the music was too loud, but nobody danced. I drank Bartles and James and Zima and later hard cider and pretended to have a good time. I wish I could pinpoint when all that stopped. I wish I could remember the day I finally gave myself permission to quit pretending so much, to stop tripping and stumbling along with some crowd that didn't even see me and just be comfortable in my own skin. I suspect there was not one single moment and like anything it was a continuum a slow slip of days and then weeks where I learned to say yes to what served me and no to what didn't I'm not always grateful for what it means to be getting older I don't love the creaks and pops in my knees or the bald patch forming along the part in my hair but one of my favorite things about being grown up is that I've learned to embrace my quirks now I see my individuality is a superpower. The stuff that makes me different is what makes me cool. And I suspect that's the case for most of us. I thought about all this during my lovely talk today with Carrie Harris, who writes licensed books, including Marvel novels, and her own weird and wild stuff. Carrie likes monsters, superheroes, and things that explode in slow motion. She's a full-time author who lives in New York with her ninja doctor husband, and three teenage children. Carrie Harris, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Thanks for having me. So how long has it been since you and I have seen each other? I'm one of those people who thinks that the 90s were like 10, maybe 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I I was telling someone that I was going to do this the other day and they were like, how long has it been? And I went 15, no, 20, no, so it's been 30 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm told my math is off, even possibly on that number. I suspect one of the last times we saw each other was either in Mrs. Link's or Mrs. Elric's English classes or maybe backstage at a play or a musical where, like, you were in charge of everything and I was, like, the fourth chorus person on the left. But I was also missing my entrance because... I had to get my spiral perm right, and it was hard to do without being able to flip up a collar on a jeans jacket, which we weren't allowed to wear. Anyways, I feel like we have a lot to catch up on. Yeah, yeah, it was a tragic <laughs> time, so there's plenty to talk about. 
Um, also, since then, we've both been busy, but I think you've been busier because I wrote a book. Go me. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. you've written more than 20. <laughs> so I think you and I need yeah. to talk a little bit about time management and um, <laughs> I don't know, word jujitsu or how exactly it is you tap into the um prolific muse um so uh, but we always start with the same question around here so um do you mind just telling us your story yeah um you know I I was thinking about this because I listened to the podcast and and so I knew you were going to ask me this (laughs) I I do I stalk you it's okay though um right back at you right so um I think it all goes back to Mrs. Elric's class um I had her for freshman English. And uh, for those of you who have not had the pleasure of knowing Mrs. Elric, um, she looked like the angry teacher from Central Casting. <laughs> like, like she always had angry mouth. She just always looked mad. And um, I had floated through school. Everything was easy. And um, I wrote my first paper for her. And she gave me an F. <gasps> I had never gotten an F before. Um, I handled it very well by crying in public. Excellent. Yep. And um, then I got mad and I revenge wrote the next paper and um, she read it in front of the class and she said, you should be a writer. Oh. And I went, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> um, but, you know, we came from a small Ohio town. We didn't know any writers. That's not something you do. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of my high school career um, trying to fit in. You know, I would go home and I would read comic books. But that wasn't cool. So you kind of hid that stuff and, and you tried to fit in. And then my early 20s and 30s were the same thing. I would watch reality TV and try to talk to the people at my workplace because that's what they did. They did not care about superheroes and hobbits and Star Wars and all the things that I was into. And it wasn't until after my kids were born that I said, you know, I got to quit trying to be somebody I'm not because how can I tell them to be genuine and be true to yourself when I'm not. And, um, you know, it started out slow. I wore my comic book t-shirts to school bus pickup. Um, I became the weird mom. And (laughs) after we had our twins, my husband and I decided I would try this writing thing because I'd worked desk jobs. I'd worked in labs and, um, you know, I thought, well, I'll, I'll try to write a book. And if I, don't get published by the time they're all in school full time, then I'll go back to work. And so that was in 2006 and I haven't gone back to work. Wow. So part of the, part of the number of books that I've written has to do with the fact that I've been at it for a long time. My first book came out in 2011. So I think it's like 23 books in 11 years. That is amazing. Many gold stars. So that's that's fantastic. In an interview you gave, oh, it could be a year ago or it could be 10. COVID has made years 
seem marshmallowy to me. But you mentioned no meaning. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned a story that stuck with me. It was about playing Star Wars in your neighborhood and how the boys were always, you know, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, and there's really just the one girl, right? right. And you don't get to do anything. Would you yeah. mind telling your version of this story if you remember it? Oh, yeah, I definitely remember it because we played a lot of Star Wars. And it was just like you said, the guys would be um, Han and Luke and Chewbacca and R2 and Darth Vader. And then Princess Leia got captured. And so I would sit in my cell, which was the patch of grass outside my front door. (laughs) And I could not leave the grass. That was my cell. And I would sit there. And the guys would go off and they would have lightsaber battles and whatnot and completely forget about the princess they were supposed to rescue. And um, I got tired of waiting. And so I would rescue myself. And then they would tell me, you can't do that. And my question is, why not? Rescue yourself. Yeah. Why can't the princess rescue herself? And so... uh, Almost all of my books have uh, female main characters or one of many main characters. Uh, you know, at least some of them are female. And um, I, I want to write books about princesses who rescue themselves, but who aren't perfect. Because that's, it's, that's another problem entirely, right? You know, we have these unrealistic expectations where you have to be beautiful and smart and motivated and a perfect parent and your car is never messy and all of these things, which I am not. Um, but I want to read a book that helps me realize that when the chips are down, I've got this. Yeah. I love that about your writing. And that's the kind of book that I want to read too. And I want to raise, I've got three kids, two daughters. I want to raise all of them to know that they can rescue themselves. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it shouldn't be just just women, but I think my experience as as a girl who was taught to wait and that there's one girl, so you got to fight for your spot. I don't want to do that. I want I want it to be both of us. Yeah, we had this strange upbringing. Again, we're the same age. We were on the one right. hand told. We could be anything we wanted to do. We could be anything we wanted to be. But the reality was that in our high school, our girls' leaders club, you know what we did in the girls' leaders club? We I never went to that. We decorated the football players' lockers. <laughs> that was oh. our leadership. We also sold tickets to the basketball games. And this is not me l- knocking the club. I'm just saying that was that was our school leadership to to, to serve to bring, put candy in the football players' lockers. Girls our age yeah. were not always groomed to be purveyors of, of much of anything, let, let alone monsters and mayhem and murder. How yeah. did you find your way into that subject matter? Um, I've always loved speculative fiction. So that's anything that has something fantastic in it. Fantasy, science fiction, any horror book where it's an alien or a monster or whatever. Um, And during high school, my home life was not good. And so Specfic was my escape. That was where I could go and hide. 
And one of the things that, you know, you get older and you kind of think about it and, and I still love SpecFic. And one of the things that I think I love about it the most is that it can be about things that are, are inhuman and unreal and yet tell a story that is very human and very real, but you have that space, you know? And, and so for me, like reading your memoir, I could not do that. It's spectacular, but I've tried <laughs> and it's too, I get too close, you know, and I'm too, I have feelings and they take over, um, when I should be trying to write well, I'm too bad, too busy having like a, a an emotional moment. Um, but with spec fic, I can say what I want to say because I have that, I have that distance. So it's still a very personal story, just in a completely different way. Well, first off, I will totally read that memoir whenever you quit making these excuses and write it. So we'll just put a pin in that until we'll, we'll bring you back on for that. But I, I know oh, what you mean. Oh, you um, just called me out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's on the show. We're just putting it right there, putting a pin in it. We'll okay. be back to it. Um, we okay. had Laura Maylene Walter on who wrote this debut novel, Body of Stars, about how women's bodies predicted the future. And it's exactly yeah. like you're talking about, right? You use this fantastical idea of the freckles rearranging on a woman's body and then it becomes a vehicle to all kinds of truth that's incredibly recognizable and yeah. and real um and i love that you're you, on the one hand yes your stories are fantastical right there and the one i'm reading right now there are witches and there's a ghost rider but uh, there are people with difficult family lives right yeah. there are people who are unburdening themselves or making mistakes in their jobs because they are holding on to the story they're telling about themselves, about owning a tragedy that may or may not even be their fault. So I, again, I'm, these guys are yeah. riding motorcycles and doing magic, but the parts of the story that are, that are um, most real to me are when I'm looking in a mirror. And I do not expect to see myself in superhero stories, but I do find yeah. myself there. I love the way, I love the way you, you do that. Thank you for doing that writing. Well, thank you for saying so. I, um, you know, it's one of those things where you, you get into this business or, or I think even you pick up a book like this as a reader and you think there's no way this can be a personal story. Uh, you know, the book that you're talking about has Ghost Rider in it. Ghost Rider has, has been in a million comics. He's been in movies played by Nicolas Cage. Uh, there's a whole lot of history there. So how do you make that personal? And um, and not every story needs to be personal. Sometimes you just want to see a flaming skeleton on a bike ride around and be a badass. Um, but I think for me, the things that are most interesting are how do you deal with a curse like that? You know, he he was a person just like anybody else before this happened how do you come to terms with the fact that this is your life now and and what do you do with that yeah i don't think nicholas cage fully captured the, the full picture <laughs> a slightly different portrayal yeah he, he nicholas caged the shit out of that role but i think we missed maybe some of the 
Yes. He is maximum Nick Cage in that movie. You are absolutely right. (laughs) Um, I perceive the comic industry as a pretty male-dominated space. Am I perceiving that correctly? Oh, yeah. What's that like? You know, this isn't my first time being in a a male-dominated industry. Before this, a lot of my writing was in um, games which is also very, um, very doodly. And, um, you know, 95% of it is great. People want to hear what you've got to say. Um, You create connections with people who love the same things that you do and that are passionate about them. And and you can, uh, you know, you can talk about what you're working on and talk about what you're reading and have great conversations about it. Um, there are moments where um, where it's not so great, uh, where you're passed over for things uh, that you know that you are more than qualified for. Um, and maybe there's a whole bunch of reasons for them. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to say exactly why. But it happens so many times that you kind of start to wonder. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles with that kind of thing is you have to have peace with not necessarily knowing why the answer is no. And uh, being stubborn enough that you're going to keep going until you get your yes. And, and it doesn't really matter how long it takes because I'm not quitting. Yeah, you might have to keep rescuing yourself. That's right. Yeah, it's not a one and done. It's good to remember, the game keeps going. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo. And co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema. Our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. Perhaps best known these days as a writer of like capital M Marvel stories, like including a, a, a few. I'm just throwing out titles here, like Shadow Avengers, which is an X Men book, Witches Unleashed, which I was just referring to, which features the Ghost Rider, of course, and three pretty kick ass witches. Um, I was not I, full full disclosure. I was not a comic book reader as a kid. Um, as a kid and a preteen, I was way too busy passing um, those V.C. Andrews and Sweet Valley High books around the classroom and, like, dog-earing the smutty pages and, like, making sure your friends saw that. Um, so the su- the subject matter might be different between those stories and, and these, but I wonder if the skill set required is um, at least a little bit similar because what is it like to to write a novel 
based on existing characters that other writers have also written. Yeah. Well, you know, my early novels were original and I started out writing teen books too. Um, So it is, it's somewhat different, um, you know, in that you have to be really careful not to break canon. You know, canon is everything that came before, who the character is. And and yes, you can, um, you know, make some choices that, that change the character. Uh, but those choices have to be approved because so you can't have you, you don't own Spider-Man. It. Spider-Man can't marry Black Widow and like have the Hulk raise their babies. Right. Unless you get approval, <laughs> which I, I mean, I might like to read that. But um, ev- everything that I write goes through a very extensive approval process. Uh, and you know, as I've gotten older, I, I become more and more de- um, dedicated to outlining, uh, which has served me well in the Marvel books because uh, by the time I've submitted it to them, I've gone through about five or six outlines and they're, they get to be about 20 pages long. And so I've worked out all of the problems in the plot and then I work out all the problems with the license, like we don't want this character to go in that direction, or we're using this character for some something else. We need you to switch gears and that kind of thing. So by the time I sit down to write the book, I've replotted it uh, five or six times. So all the holes are closed. It's very easy to get to writing because they force you to do all that advance work. And I like it so much that I do that for all my books now. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I only recently learned that uh, phrase, retconning. It turns out I knew what oh, yeah. retconning was, but I didn't know. You know, it was something like you're watching One Life to Live or General Hospital. And, well, I mean, do you ever get halfway through plotting one of your books and realize that somebody died so you have to like general hospital it and make it all a dream and bring back Roman but as Roman's twin brother <laughs> do you ever get to do that um it, for Marvel <laughs> not so much I have gotten halfway through plotting and went oh no I can't do this I, I this is not gonna work um but that's also the nice thing about writing in a universe that has a multiverse so that there are all of these different universes and each one has a Spider-Man. And so you've got a little bit of room to play. Um, so you can use that. But actually, I wrote a, I wrote a licensed book a few years ago uh, called Sally Slick. And uh, it didn't have a Bible. There, there's a thing called a story Bible, which like it, it tells you all the background and all the things you need to know. There was no Bible. And so I you know, I read what existed, but I missed the fact that she was from Nebraska. And I wrote a story that was very much uh, dependent on the fact that she was outside Chicago. Oh, <laughs> and we didn't discover it until it was it was done. The book was going to the printer. So I was like, I have to do something. Nebraska so, High School. Nebraska. Nebraska County. Oh, <laughs> there She's you from go. Nebraska County. Which does not exist, but... Retcon. It yeah. works. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you write for one of the big dogs, right? Marvel, Marvel, who's uh, the star of this this corporation is clearly ascending in the movie realm. Uh, this sounds like a lot of people's dream writing job. So I'm curious about how that happened. Did you just run into an executive buyer at your favorite smoothie shop? Did you just call Marvel? Like, how does one get that job? Yeah. Well, it's my dream job, too. And um, so I I have to go back a little bit. I sold my first books to um, Random House. And so I thought this was it. You know, I have made it. And, um, you know, it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. And, uh, oh, the roller coaster that child. only goes up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My roller coaster went down. Um, and things did not go as I'd hoped. And um, I found myself in a position where um, people that I really respected in the business were telling me my career was over. It was Liars. Gone. No. Hmm. And I couldn't sell anything. Um, and trust me, I tried. I have so many trunked books that just did not sell. And so for a while I quit, you know, because that's what everybody's telling you to do. And and then we get back to the rescuing yourself thing again, that I wasn't ready to quit. I still had stuff to say. And I wasn't going to let anybody tell me I can't. So I started to take any project anybody would give me and pay me for. I would write anything and um, worked on my craft and, and I climbed up, you know, like tooth and nail bit by bit because I was determined that the next time that the door opened, I was going to go through it. And so I mean, I self-published a few things. I worked for tiny, tiny publishers. Um, I did anything I could. And then I heard that somebody was doing books based on board games, a company called Aconite. And I've worked in the gaming industry before. And I've sure, written sure. books. Seems kind of perfect. Yeah. So, um, so I auditioned and they gave me a book. And the week that I signed with them, they inked a deal with Marvel. And I thought... How great is that? Yeah, this is it. And I wrote, you know, they didn't know me yet. I had spoken to this editor like three times. And I wrote her this email and I said, please, please, please let me pitch for Marvel. I don't care what I have to do. I will show up on your doorstep and cosplay if you let me do this. <laughs> and I'm thinking I really hope she doesn't say yes because they're in England and I can't sew so I was going to have to buy a costume but I would have done it I really would have done it and she said go ahead and pitch and so when you pitch you have to come up with three ideas that fit into continuity that fit into this set of factors and criteria that they give you and so I wrote my pitches and do you remember one of them? Uh, actually, one of them was the pitch for Liberty and Justice for All, which was my first Marvel book. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they said yes. So all those years of reading comic books and playing these games and feeling like, I don't know if I'm just like everybody else. 
then you get this moment, right? This this same week when you're hired to write, you were hired to write a board game. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. instead you end up pitching Marvel. Yeah. Good for you, man. Good for you. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I don't think it would have been possible if I wasn't stubborn, but also, um, it, you know, I think the fact that I, um, I'm trying to think of how to say this. The phrase that comes to mind is embracing your weird. Works like, for me. Like, I finally decided I wasn't going to be embarrassed about the things that I love. I wasn't going to try to be like everybody else. I am a weird mom who most of the time I have blue hair. Right now I'm lazy. I wear comic book t-shirts. I'm almost 50 years old. I don't care. It makes me happy. I always call it dancing to the beat of my own elephant. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, so who are some of your favorites? Uh, characters you've written or just characters in the universe who you you admire, who you like? Well, yeah, I admit that I um, I engage in very deep fan service with my books. Like my first book featured um, Sabretooth, who's one of my personal favorites. Why did I pick Sabretooth? Because I like him and I wanted to. Um, and then um, Ghost Rider. Um, I picked up my first Ghost Rider comic because he rode a bike. And on both sides of my family, my my grandparents and my uncles were, were bikers. And I thought they would think it was cool. Your grandparents so I, were bikers? My my grandpa was a bike mechanic. And um, yeah, and then I dedicated the book to my uncle, who was like my replacement dad, and he was a biker. He used to ride in um, parades and do all the formation, crazy formations with the with the funny hats. And um, I thought they would think it was cool. That's and great. so, yeah, so I I do have, and they're very personal stories. I mean, I think that's a reason why I picked Ghost Rider to tell a story about found family because, you know, my uncle became my dad. You know, he called me his daughter, um, just lost him earlier. Uh, well, late last year. Oh, and, sorry. um, you know, it's, he tells uh, the, the book tells a story about family that's lost and found because that's what I was living when I wrote it. First off, I'm sorry that we didn't know each other better in high school. Because Me too. Because I, I think about the people I've met since high school who I, I went to school with. I'm like, what the hell were we doing? I was, You know what I was doing? Probably trying hard to fit in just like everybody else. Everyone's all trying hard to fit in and we don't realize what, yeah. <laughs> we, we could have been watching Pride and Prejudice and Zombies in somebody's basement. Um, but that second, could still happen. I love I love the notion that you've used these. Uh, Carmen Maria Machado uses uh, fairy tales to tell. She talks about like telling the untellable or or getting at the story a different way. You can't get at it straight on, so she uses the vehicle of of fairy tale in order to tell that story that you maybe couldn't say. And I I think that I'm hearing some of that same thing in the the comics that you're using these as a vehicle to to tell some stories that you maybe haven't haven't told straight on. 
Well, and, and there's actually a history of that that, you know, if you're not into comics, you might not know. You know, there's there's been a lot of talk over the years about the X-Men and the X-Men are mutants and people are afraid of them. People judge them um, just based on their their mutant status. And um, that could be a, a parallel to a lot of things. And so to be a part of that has been really, um, it's not something I expected, but it's been one of my most favorite things about the whole deal. That's wonderful. I hadn't thought about it that way. Okay, so uh, we always close with icebreakers. Since you listen to the show, I, I tried to put some in that maybe you haven't heard before. Um, these are multiple choice. So dogs or cats? Dogs. I have a crazy one. Yeah? Yeah. What's your dog's name? Florida Bart Fest. We call him Bart. It's it's from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I always wanted a dog named Florida Bart Fast, and my family loves me. <laughs> Bart. Oh, excellent. Uh, coffee or tea? I mean, tea if I'm sick. I'm already hyper enough. The last thing I need is coffee. Gotcha. Mountains or beach? Beach. Early bird or night owl? I would like to be a night owl. I'm naturally a night owl, but I have children, so I'm forced to be one of those oh. early people. Why does school start so early? Yeah. That's something we still need to change. Loud or quiet? Uh, quiet. I'm actually one of those obnoxious people who needs it to be silent in order to work, and, and I just like the quiet. Uh, are you a risk taker or are you the person who always knows where the band-aids are? That's a good one. I am the band-aid person except for my professional life. I will take all the risks because what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Let them tell you yes. Yeah. Uh, if you could time travel, would you rather go back in time or forward? Ooh. I think I'd rather go back because there's things that you can experience if you go back on a level that you couldn't just by reading it and I don't plan on going anywhere for a while, so I'm going to get to see forward, at least some of it. What's something quirky that folks don't know about you? I mean, we already covered the the mad cow. Mm. Um, likes, loves, pet peeves? Um, uh, pet peeves, I'm probably not that quirky. I'm one of those people who can't stand to hear people eat. Oh, chewing. Is it the, yeah. I, I thought I was the only one. I, oh, no. It's a thing. It's called misophonia. I There's hate that. I don't want to hear yeah. your food. No, I don't. Mm -mm, no, I didn't know we were allowed to say that out loud. It's bothered me for <laughs> so many years, and I just, I just assume that people make noise while chewing, and they can't help it. But I hate it. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's an awful thing. It should be outlawed. Mm -hmm. Chew quietly, folks. Quiet food. <laughs> Uh, all right. What do you love about where you live? So we moved from Utah, which is um, very, very overwhelmingly Mormon, to uh, a, a neighborhood in New York that is Orthodox Jewish. And we did not know that we did this. We bought the house on Zoom. On Zoom? Because oh. of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had not seen it in person. Um, and they are some of the most welcoming, wonderful people in this neighborhood that I have ever met. They spend their Saturday Shabbats drinking in their driveways. And so uh, we are now their mascots. They're non-Jewish mascots. They got us a shirt. I have a, I have a shirt that says that I'm a part of the club. 
at, at they just this morning dropped off a Passover gift basket so that we could celebrate too. Oh, that's lovely. The sweetest thing. I didn't know that you were in New York now. That's excellent. You're much closer. Yeah, yeah. We we just moved last summer. So I'll be back to Ohio. You're out of excuses now for coming to the reunions, man. When you're on the other side of the Mississippi, but now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a, a, a hook and, and hook you in. Um, what's one of your go-to songs? Uh, well, kind of on the same... Uh, Considering what we talked about, anytime I get a rejection, I play How Do You Like Me Now by The Heavy. You have a rejection song. Good for and, you. And that's my... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I do. I play it really loud in the car while I'm going to pick up the kids from school. And what's your favorite book or movie or, or both? Sometimes people need to answer a favorite book, a favorite movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um. One that I've read recently, which I really loved, was called The Rook by Daniel O'Malley. And I I read it fairly regularly. Um, It's about a woman who who wakes up with no memory of who she is. And she's surrounded by dead people and wearing gloves, um, rubber gloves. And she doesn't know what has happened. And it's funny and it's profound. There's it's another one of those books that's about weird stuff, but ultimately it's about knowing yourself. And say the name. It's quite literally rook, like a, a chess piece. Yeah. Chess piece. All mm-hmm. right. We'll link to that on. I have not read that one. That's excellent. Oh, it's so good. And uh favorite ice cream. Chocolate peanut right. butter. Excellent. We'll hang. Mm-hmm. And um, last one, if we were to take a picture of you really happy and doing something you love, what would we see? I keep asking for my author photo to be this one in which I'm just laughing. I've seen that one. And I was, yeah, I was laughing because I felt awkward and because I, like, she was trying to tell me to, you know, lean, lean an inch this way and turn your head this. And I felt so ridiculous that, that I was laughing despite the fact that I was uncomfortable. I think that's a beautiful picture. And I think that it's all about being real. I love that. I'm tired of Amen. Bacon. Well, you send me that one and we'll um we'll use it for this because I've seen that. That's beautiful. Okay. All right, Carrie Harris, thank you. Or or Carrie Fisher. What did you want to go by? No, we'll we'll go with Carrie Harris. Um <laughs> Carrie Harris, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for reminding us to trailblaze and not to take no for an answer and to rescue ourselves. And uh, reminding us that monsters and zombies can can be friends on the page who lead us to the truth in our stories that maybe we're afraid to admit. Folks, our guest today has been Carrie Harris. Uh, She's the author of so many books I could not list them, um, but the most recent ones are, I think, Shadow Avengers, Witches Unleashed, and is Elder Dance Squad? It's still that's pretty recent, right? Elder God Dance Squad, yeah. Okay, so guys, she has books that are comic books that they're also they're comic book based, but there are also are books that are just like fun, campy, teen zombie. I, they're just I can't really explain them except that they're just good fun. Um, we will link to as many of them as I can find on the show notes page. And um, to everyone listening, we are wishing you love and light wherever this day takes you. 
Be good to yourselves and to one another, and we'll see you again soon on this wild and precious journey. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya. Producer Sarah Wilgroup and audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.